0: Hi, welcome to Shaky Sports Journeys. I was sitting uh, last night um, and it certainly dawned me that, um, you know, I've recorded well over 100 podcasts now with many people from the sporting world, many sports stars. But then it just came to me that today uh, I'm recording a podcast with uh, not one, but two highly, very experienced sports journalists and broadcasters who have done it all um, in sports. So, a little bit of pressure on today to make sure I'm on my A-game and I'll, I'll do my best to work through that. So introducing the guest today. First and foremost, a um, phenomenal lady who's uh, made, a, made a name back in the 90s when she was the first um, woman to work for the BBC in um, covering sport, football. She's worked in the Olympics. She's worked in the Ryder Cup. She's interviewed stars such as uh, Tiger Woods, Pelley, you name it, she's done it in the sport. I say hello to Alison Walker, how are you?
1: Hi there, nice to see you. Yeah, that's to a nice introduction, thank you.
0: Good start. <laughs> it just I means I'm very opinion.
1: old and I've done a lot.
0: <laughs> no, you're brilliant <laughs> and you're still doing great things. Um, my second guest, um, who, somebody who I got to know pretty well recently, I uh, covered a story with myself on Institutional racism and in Scottish Cricket. Um, has done loads of great work for the BBC, broadcasting well over 20 years experience in the industry. As well as that, takes a really strong stance for women in sport. Um, And she's a very strong voice
2: um, in that that department. And, you know, I'm a big fan of her work. I say hello to Heather Dewar. How are you, Heather? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Thanks very much for having me on. Pleasure to be here and pleasure to be on with the lovely Ali Walker, too, who is a legend. The
0: the GOAT. Some would call her the GOAT. (laughs) (laughs) but Heather big thanks to you as well I know you've got a very busy day today you're actually covering a lot of news that's dropped today with three new signings for Celtic um, so you're busy with the BBC today and you've kindly given some time to be on so we do it we are aware if you need to nip off towards the end of this feel free to uh, feel free to do so I wouldn't want to upset your producers in any way
2: this is my lunch break, so um, it's all right. I'm, I'm happy to give that up for, for your fine self. Thank That's you it. very
0: much. I, I was going to say,
1: what, what producers? You're on your own. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> if only there was a team behind yeah.
2: you there. We, we need to introduce <laughs> you gently into the world of uh, broadcasting and the reality of what it's it like. It seems
0: so. It seems so. Um, I, I mean, who better to learn from than, than two great people like yourself? The subject we're going to cover today is I wanted to look at sport, women's sport, kind of 20 years ago, how it's evolved, challenges that have been there and where it is today. Um, and to get both of you to come on, who've got vast majority of experience, it's, it's great to have you. My first question to both of you is, what made you get into sports journalism and broadcasting? Um, and how did you find it um, in the early days when you first went in? So I'll come to you, Alison, first.
1: What made me get into it? Well, I was a a very active sports person, loved my sport, but I didn't actually think about doing it as any kind of job. But I did always want to work for the BBC. That was my whole goal growing up. But I wanted to be a Blue Peter presenter. I didn't want that. That was my full focus. And then, you know, working, working for a video company, working, you know, for a short time in a newspaper. And then a job came up at the BBC in sport. And I thought and it was radio sport. And I thought, right, okay, well, why don't I go in that way and see if, you know, I can find my, my way into other areas of the BBC? So that was that was my initial intention. And then I realized how much I loved it and how much I loved covering sport um and i was the only woman that was doing it and you know loved going loved covering live games doing all that kind of stuff and it just stuck and i didn't really want to work in any other area of the bbc didn't want to work in news or blue Peter or anything so it was really almost by by default but it was a mean a means to an end and i it was just about working for the bbc for me right at the very start that that was my motivation
0: brilliant same question to you Heather
2: um I I really love that you said that Ali because it's interesting I was the same in that I always wanted to work for the BBC I think uh, when I was younger I loved English and I loved writing and actually my first bit of journalism that I ever experienced was working for a newspaper I did some work experience when I was 14 and uh, I was living in Hong Kong and I worked for the Hong Kong standards but actually it put me off newspaper writing because it was some inane job that I was given, like, you know, updating flight details or something like that. So I thought, oh, no, I don't want to do this. Um, and and I kind of had a really roundabout way that I got into broadcasting, which I really won't bore you with because it will take about an hour. Um, but I did it from the bottom up and I did a lot of work experience. But it was like Ali. Um, it was working for the BBC. I, I just... Just such a, a pinnacle um, of an institution, if that makes sense. Just it seemed to be the best place in the world to be if, if you were you know, working in broadcasting. So that was my ultimate goal as well. And I had no idea how I was going to get there. Um, and I yeah, I basically went back after I graduated. I went back to student radio. And I worked at Edinburgh Uni's uh, Fresh Air FM, uh, produced the um, breakfast show there. And then I sort of climbed my way up and got into work experience at what was Scott FM many moons ago in, in Leith in Edinburgh. And, I did work experience for about a year, so I didn't earn a penny and uh, stayed with my mum and dad and, uh, you yeah, know, had to go back and bite the bullet and all that. But I learned, I made it my goal to learn every single part of radio. So I did marketing, I did sales, I did a bit of news, um, I did travel, presenting, sport, did, did a bit of everything. Um And then I ended up on The Breakfast Show and as a key part of The Breakfast Show, actually doing back in those days, not not so much now, but back in those days, it was very much a kind of co-presenting role, doing the travel news and having a bit of a laugh with the the presenter. And I loved it. And um, yeah, from there, I went down south and I did various different jobs. And I finally made it into sport, working for the BBC down in Berkshire, After about, I don't know, about two years of working in broadcasting and lots of different roles and working in London as well. Um, And for me, the the whole kind of idea of working in sport was a bit like Ali. I'd surrounded myself in sport growing up. I was a very active um, hockey player, should have played for Scotland. But instead of when I went to uni, decided I was going to row instead, which was clever because I'm about five foot nothing. Um, just wanted to do something entirely different. I think I'd been kind of so immersed in it from such a young age, but my mum played a lot of hockey. She was an international judge in Hong Kong. We used to train with a Hong Kong squad a lot. So hockey was really my thing, Um, but I I grew up around sport. I mean, living in, in Asia... We were members of several cricket clubs, so I watched a lot of cricket, watched a lot of rugby, used to get the Hong Kong Rugby Sevens every single year. My dad played football, played a bit of tennis. So I was very fortunate. I had parents who loved sport and it was a massive, massive part of my life. So when I got into journalism proper, when I actually got into the BBC, um, I just thought, you know what, I, this is what I love. I really love news. I think I'm a bit of a news hound, I'm not going to lie, but sport is what really um, fills me with a lot of joy. So, so that's what I did. And I, and I started working, um, yeah, doing all sorts of football matches and cricket and rugby and things like that at uh, BBC Radio Berkshire until eventually I was uh, one of the sports journalists there.
0: What a background. What a, you certainly served your apprentice. It's safe to say, you know, you didn't do it the easy way. You worked, worked through many, many different routes um, to finally get to where you got to and where you are today. So very well done. That was, that, that was, that was great. To That's a proper apprentice. There's no, there's no cutting corners there. Then my next question uh, to you, Alison, is you, you, you especially, being the first woman to come into um, the BBC in sport, you're coming into a predominantly male-dominated environment. How was that for you? How were you treated? Did you feel comfortable, Welcome.
1: no no to all of those um it was absolutely awful absolutely (laughs) awful at at the start um and you know not just at the start probably for the for the best part of 10 years before I felt comfortable in my own skin um about about going to going to games and going to press conferences where I was always the only the only woman um and going you know I used to get sent to grounds in the lower leagues and, and there were colleagues who just joined, male colleagues who'd just joined the BBC, who would get sent to a top flight game, but Alison would get sent to, you know, not there's anything wrong with these games, but in terms of status, you know, you, wouldn't, you would get sent to the lowest of the low um and you know I didn't really mind that because it was about serving my apprenticeship and I didn't want people to see the mistakes I made I thought that was my position so I didn't rebel or anything and I just thought that was the normal place of things I thought well this is obviously just how it is how it is and I just I thought I'll just keep my head down work my way up learn try not to make mistakes make mistakes learn from them and just progress progress that way but there were incidences where there were press conferences where the written media would get together in a wee huddle, the may, all the men, the old journalists, the press guys, the hardened hacks as we used to call them, smoking away um, and it was basically I was radio and I was a woman so I was a double threat. So they would decide what the story was going to be on that day and they wouldn't you know let on to anybody else you wouldn't be included. Um, you got your one to ones with your managers and your players and, and went away. And hopefully you got the story anyway. But it was made very, very difficult. And for months and months at the start, I would go home crying, saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I would phone my mom up and say, and tell her, she says, no, you can't let them beat you. You can't let them beat you. You can do it. You can do it. And that went on for years and years and years. Um, and why did I stick with it because I wasn't going to be beaten and actually I I enjoyed doing the games I enjoyed covering sport I loved covering sport Um, and sports not like news in the sense that I always wonder how does somebody that's a news journalist how do you cover a story where and this is a horrible example but there was a story at the time a six-year-old that had been pushed off a balcony from a multi-story flat by his mother and I thought oh my god I could never be a news journalist because I could never cover a story like that sports should never be you know enter those kind of realms it should be about you know it should be a lot about joy Sports sport should be a lot about joy and a lot about you know entertainment as well as a little bit of news so so the mix of sport really appealed to me so I wasn't going to let that go and I wasn't going to let those, those other male journalists get the better of me. The, the people at the grounds, the, the managers and the players were always first class. It was the other male journalists and some of the other male broadcasters because I was the only woman in their midst. And you know what I did? I used to dress in, in black and dark. Oh, I never wore a dress. I had short hair. I just wanted to merge and be part, be included and be part of that world. I didn't want to be different. I just wanted to be regarded as a good journalist, not a good female journalist. That's always what I always wanted. But it was made really, really difficult for me, not just by male press guys, but also by some men in the BBC. They would see me coming along, oh, here's Alice of God, what do women know about football and all that kind of stuff? And I could hear it. I could hear it every day. And then when I got pregnant with with my first child, it took me, fortunately, I covered it up quite well. I couldn't tell them because I knew that would impact on everything that I was, all the jobs I was given. There was a foreign trip with rangers somewhere and and I should have gone, but they didn't send me because I I was four months pregnant. You know, so I was discriminated against all the way in terms of the jobs I was given, in the terms of the way I was treated, in terms of the way I was spoken to. It was, I, you know, when I look back, I just don't know why I didn't, I didn't think why in our, is this really worth it? Is it really worth it? Because it was really, really tough, and I, I think it ultimately it cost me my my marriage. Um, but I stuck with it, and I, you know, and actually it's turned out really well in the long run. But it was. Sorry to go on about this, but it really was very, very, very tough at the start, and you know tears were flowing a lot, a lot of the time. And I'm so pleased that you know the world we're in now, half the things that went on then could not happen anymore. I mean, I could tell you stories of of harassment that would make your toes curl, Um, but I, I, you know, I'm not not going there at the moment. But there, there were some things that went on that you know, in terms of sexual harassment that that should not have happened. Um, and, and thankfully, they don't really happen now. There's still a, a degree of bullying uh, that goes on now, but it's it's a lot more people are PC now and know they can't go there. So, yeah, short, long answer to a short question. Oh, no, listen. It was, it was very po- tough, but I stuck with it because I loved it and I wasn't going to let them beat me.
0: More, po- more power to you, Alison. More power to you. You that's you know a lot of people would have crumbled under that kind of, working in that kind of environment um it doesn't surprise me because I think things have maybe got a little bit better but I've spoken to a lot of women that have been in sport and they face discrimination sexism so and you know you were probably in a time where it was just completely all male there wasn't any other female faces around so more power to you uh, you weren't you weren't defeated in that in that environment, and yeah. look what you've gone on to achieve. So,
1: and just and just one more thing. I know this is about women in sport and women in sports coverage, but we forget about the women that work as as coaches, as broadcasters, as newspaper people, people that work in administration and sports offices. You know, these these are all areas that have been discriminated against for years and years and years as well. It's not just about the athletes we see on the TV or on the pitch, finally getting the coverage they deserve. What about all the women that have worked in the background in sport that have had to suffer, you know, all those years of discrimination and not really progressing like they should have done? So it's great that you're, you're, you're talking about that too.
0: No, listen, I'm a massive fan of, uh, of women like yourself and, and the things that you're doing. And I, 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 it really annoys me when I hear the challenges that, that women face. Um, and I'm certainly somebody that wants to be uh, raising a lot of awareness about that. So it doesn't happen moving into the future. But I ask you the same question, Heather, um, you know, it, was it, do you, can you relate to a lot of what Alison said there?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think people have to realize that when you're a woman working in it's, I don't think it's, it's just sports. It's in a, it's in a few industries because I know um, I've got friends who've worked in the oil industry, which is very male dominated and it's it has been pretty similar, not necessarily now, but certainly in, in the recent past. But when you raise your head above the parapet and if you have a voice, it can be very looked down upon. And that makes it a real problem because you have to put it like this in order to get to the position of someone like Alison, for example. Alison had to have and I would say probably anyone um, I might, I was slightly after Ali, but. Certainly, in the last kind of up to about 10 years ago, I would say it has improved since then. And I think it's easier probably for women to get into the industry because there are more jobs now. Um, But certainly, up to that point, I think to get to one of these roles, you had to be a pretty driven individual. And there are a lot of males in particular, some females too, by the way, um, has to be said, but there are a lot of males who don't like that type of woman, who think that if you raise your head above the parapet and if you speak out and you have a voice, and I know that you've you've experienced similar things to this as well, uh, Kasim, um, in your past, if you have a voice, then that is looked down upon. Now, that is not the case with men. Sometimes it's seen with men, if you have a voice and you you raise a question or you speak out loudly about a particular subject that is applauded, but very often in, in our industry, it wasn't. And like I say, it is getting better, but it's almost like you were seen as a bit of a problem. And I think that has been a hindrance for, for some people. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty outspoken. I kind of try and channel that now into a lot of the writing that I do. I wouldn't say that I'm a campaigner, but I do like to fight for the, the common man as it were and i like to to fight for causes and and do what a journalist should do journalists it's it's our job as a journalist to look for the truth to to uncover untruths to to bring about a, a sense of justice sometimes i suppose but but essentially to speak the truth and that goes against what a lot of people who are in positions of authority like but it also sometimes goes against um what you might find in in the workplace and and i think ali's right i, I was very lucky when i was down south uh, starting off in sports journalism I, I really don't think i experienced any form of negativity at all in fact the the bbc um station that i worked for it was bbc radio Berkshire. So were brilliant to work for and we had an amazing team and I was just basically let go and they just said go and do whatever you want I was given a radio car which I learned to drive with a 10 foot mast which can kill you if you don't drive it properly you know and I was just sent off to local cricket grounds around the country and as I say sports that I'd never covered before but they they trusted me they believed in me and they said just go and do it um so I covered a lot of non-league football um which is where I really got into my football reporting. But I didn't I didn't really face any discrimination back then. I suppose it's more since coming up to to Scotland. And when I came back up, I mean, I'm I'm Scottish. Right. But um, I do have a bit of an English accent, especially back then, because I'd come from Berkshire, which uh, could be quite posh in some areas. You know, so I had to tone my voice for for that radio station as a broadcaster. You you manipulate your voice sometimes to uh, the station that you're working for. It's the same across the board. Um, so I sound much more Scottish now than I probably ever have done. But when I first came up, I probably sounded quite English. And I got a fair amount of ribbing from people for being English. And I and I felt, well, I shouldn't have to justify <laughs> my accent here and say, look, I'm actually Scottish. Um, but you felt like in a way you had to because... People were slagging me off sometimes on social media for being English. Oh, why have you got that English person on? Actually, I'm not English, but also why am I having to now justify my accent to people who don't know me? Um, So I suppose I received a bit of that. And then, yeah, your typical standard, all right, you know, sweetheart, darling, when it comes to being at football. I got asked recently, very, very recently, funnily enough, when I was pulling up to a football ground to do a game. Um, I wound down my window to say I'm just coming into the car park uh, for BBC Scotland and before I had a chance to actually start speaking the guy said are you coming here to cover the football? And I was like, and it, with shock and horror in his voice I was like yes, yes I am. Um, so the, I, I think there's about, still a,
0: I probably know more about football than
2: you, mate. <laughs> well I think there's just a bit of a misconception out there still but I think the the, the challenges you know are I, there's still challenges in departments and, and in the media in general it's I've I've done a lot of stuff for the Daily Mail recently, who have been fantastic to work for, and um, yeah, just a a brilliant team. Um, but you know, in in some media organisations, there are there are still a lot of challenges, Casim.
1: I think there is something particular to Scottish football, Heather, because whenever I covered any other sport around the world, even during those early days, I was at Commonwealth Games in 1998. In Kuala Lumpur, I would, you know, I did Victoria in ninety four Commonwealth. Whenever I, I covered loads of other sports, where I never felt the, I never felt the level of discrimination that I had in Scottish football. Scottish football was very particular. Even going to when I did some English games for for BBC Network, I didn't feel it so much there. Very particular to Scottish football uh, from the early days. You know, and I covered, you know, I covered curling in those days. Didn't feel it there, but you know those other male journalists didn't view other sport as important the male football journalists viewed every other sport apart from football as a diddy sport a sport that no one cared about nobody would be interested in a few a minority few like like cricket even to an extent rugby uh, nothing mattered except football and their world of football and that's where all the discrimination was. In any other sport, it wasn't really a problem for me. And that's why I evolved into covering golf and curling, and, vari- and even did some badminton for BBC Scotland. Presented badminton and hockey. I did a lot of indoor hockey for, for for BBC Scotland, and it was a joy to work in those sports because you could felt you could breathe and be a, be a proper presenter, journalist, whatever you'd like to call it. It was a lot. It was what you were there to do. Whenever you went into the football world, you had to take a deep breath and think, here we go again. You know, so, so I'm not surprised you didn't have the hassle in Berkshire and, and you know, at BBC Radio Berkshire and round, round the, the other place. It's very particular to, to Scottish football and possibly even more particular to the west coast of scotland that that misogynism that chauvinism you know which which is still there to a degree as heather's just indicated um which is you know come on really
0: no, no come on as a as <laughs> a big word there like really um you know 2021 going into 2022 have we not seen already how much women can offer in sport and that com- that covers journalism broadcasting Sporting stars, we have so many now. I mean, look at the, some of the faces now. Two that come to mind in particular: Ailey Barber um, and Laura Woods. I, I, I follow a lot of their work. I enjoy listening to them way more than listening to the men. Uh, that's that's. I'm not just saying that. That's that's the truth. I think women have got so much to offer. And this mentality that oh, she's a she's just a woman. She doesn't know what she's talking about. That's just that's dinosaur stuff. That that's gone. It's surely it's gone now.
2: It hasn't though. And this is the problem. I mean, you're right, Ali, it's um, I mean, I, I think it is getting better just from a personal experience of, you know, maybe what I experienced at the, um, in Scotland to, to what I'm experiencing now when I go out into games. I do, I do think it's better, but online, it's not any better. I mean, you must have seen this as well, Ali. It's um, I, I find it amazing that. There is still this attitude among many men that if you're a female, you just you just don't deserve to be covering football. Right. You just shouldn't be doing it. Um, and as you say, there are some brilliant talents out there who cover the game and are absolutely fantastic. Um, and there are some former pund- uh, former pros who we see now, like Alex Scott, for example, who's who's superb, who really do know the game extremely well. But even they are slagged off, you know, remorselessly on social media. But I I, I do find it particularly sad that you might be in the middle of doing a, a radio bulletin or radio broadcast, I should say, from a game. And you might not know at that particular second who scored the goal. And by the way, all your male colleagues or half your male colleagues will be in exactly the same boat and won't know either. And you know that the journalists all around you don't know either because you're all shouting, saying, like, who scored, who scored? And that's what happens at games. It's sometimes the journalists who work in newspapers are all indicating between each other who's done what and there isn't an instantaneous yeah he scored sometimes it's really obvious who scored a goal right but sometimes it really isn't so particularly there was a I was at a game a few weeks ago where you couldn't see a damn thing because of the the fog it was so bad I literally had no idea what was going on on the other side of the pitch yeah I mean honestly I had no idea what was going on um but when we as women say, oh, I'll get back to you, whatever you, you, you know, you may get instantly slagged off for not knowing who that player was straight away. Or you might make a small error. And again, people would just jump on you. Um, or it might be that someone doesn't like your style of interview or something. But I, do, I really don't find that men get those kind of comments at all. It seems to be sometimes there are people just waiting to pounce. On that, you know, Sonia McLaughlin is is a good example when um, she was remorselessly abused on social media last um, in 2021 as well. um, At one of the rugby matches she was covering. And it's it is it's it's just it's disgusting, the kind of abuse that you get. And
1: in those early days, I mean, I used to get it more as a face to face thing as opposed to social media, um, which is which is often worse. And, you know, if, if I got the if I got the name of a player wrong. Uh, I I I could not brush that away, I would go home, and I would beat myself up about that for the rest of the night, and probably the next day about getting something wrong, um, which probably a lot of other people would have got wrong as well. Um, and, you know, the, you know, male, my male colleagues wouldn't have been, they would just shrug that off. But I knew the abuse that I would probably get when I went to the next press conference, because a lot of people are a real, a lot of people listen to Radio Scotland, it's a I don't know if sports sound still gets the same audiences, but i got massive audiences in the 90s. Um, and, you know, because my voice was slightly higher, um, you know, you know, I stood out, you know, because e- even today, you, you might have Heather's voice and one other female um, on the radio. But the bulk of people on sports sound, 90 percent are still male voices, you know, so you stand out and you're you're an easy target if you get anything wrong because, oh, it's that woman that was on. It's that woman I heard. She got that name wrong. She got them wrong. You know, and now I would not bother about getting anything wrong. But in those early days, I just, I took it really to heart. I thought, oh, I can't do this. I can't, I can't face this. And I can't, you know, and that destroys your confidence when it's already at a difficult level. So, you know, I don't think Heather probably beats herself up about that now. Do you, if you get anything wrong, you just kind of... Oh,
2: I don't know, Ali. I still do sometimes. I mean, you bang on um, with that comment. It's You do. It's quite hard to describe, isn't it? But you take it home with you and you you replay it over and over and over. And I, And I know, having spoken to several sportsmen and women who've suffered you know online abuse in particular they'll, they'll actually actively go through Twitter to to see how much they've been abused it becomes a thing apparently for some people but yeah I, I think I, I do but I'm not like you um, I'm not as bothered by it as I used to be I think I've just chilled out a lot now I think I've just got to the point I've realized if I get a player wrong on the radio or whatever then big deal you know there are everybody there'll yeah. be loads of people around me who are exactly the same thing and as long as I'm I then go back and correct it if I can or you know yeah yep. work your way around it keep exactly. speaking yep, I yep. don't think it's I don't think people at home are you know saying oh that's that's there will be some as we've just described but the majority of people are are not listening for that so I don't think we should be beating ourselves up but it is it, it is something that I think when you first start out 100 percent, it sticks with you
1: but yeah. um but two men male journalists would not be having this discussion. No. <laughs>
2: Listen, I was watching The
0: Ashes late the other night. Then it's
1: funny, Ali, isn't it?
0: Uh, I was watching, and David Gower, look, highly regarded, being, in the, being, in yeah. the, being a journalist and in the, a pundit for years. Uh, and one of the Aussies took a catch. Now, it's different to football. In cricket, you actually, the camera is very close on the player. And it was actually, it was David Warner who took the catch. And David Gower kept saying, Steve Smith taking the catch. And, and I'm sitting thinking... Steve Smith didn't take the catch. Do you know it was never corrected over the next couple of minutes? It just rolled over. I didn't see social media going going crazy that, that David Gower had named the wrong person that took the catch, and it shouldn't be the case with 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 women either. I, we all make mistakes. You know, it's, it can it can happen. Um, so listen, just just shrug it off and, and don't let these people don't let these people bother you and just keep keep doing what you're doing. While you've been talking, a lot of things I've been thinking about. Heather mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, I, I, I've i come through um, playing sport and grown up um, as a person of colour. And I'm actually from a, a, a mixed race background. My mum is Scottish, white. My dad is from Pakistan. That's where I get the the, the, brown, the brown skin from. It's certainly not from the Glasgow weather. Um, but, you know, I'm born and bred, Glaswegian, Glasgow accent. But through oh. the years and going into different changing rooms yes, and playing in different system. teams, I've often noticed not like that... that. I can get treated a little bit differently because, and and at the time you just kind of, you know, push through it, playing football as a young 16 year old, getting called the the, the, the paki word regularly on the pitch. Um, I seen it more as kind of like what you both just said, I'm not going to let this beat me. I'm going to play harder and I'm going to, I'm going to c- keep competing. But over time, these things definitely take an effect on your mental health. You know, you, 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 Mental health is something we're a lot more educated on now, but probably not as much 15, 20, 25 years ago. What kind of effect does this have on one's mental health when you're going through it? I'd imagine you must have felt anxiety quite a lot of the time when you were going to foot, to cover football, knowing that you're under under pressure.
1: I was also I also felt it because something a lot technically seemed to go wrong when when I was at games in those days, and I thought oh it's sounds more also going well, please make it work today please make it work today because I've got you know so there was that side of it um, yeah and but but it, that was also balanced with excitement about going to games gate. There's nothing like a game day and you're covering live sport. I mean you're telling the world in effect something as it's happening. And that's actually a real, that's exhilarating and fun. And so there's all that aspect of it in amongst the adrenaline of, you know, I need to get this right and I need to do this well. And generally, if you were at the lower league games, you got a nice reception from the clubs and they took you in and they gave you a cup of tea because you were a bit of a novelty. You know, there was a woman at Falkirk at the old Brockville ground that I used to take a hot water bottle in the winter and she used to fill it up for me in the kitchen and bring it up and I used to sit on it so you know and as much as there was a lot of stress at a lot of the bigger Premier League grounds at the lower league grounds I got so well looked after you know and I was first with the cakes and they all stood up for me at the grounds so you know okay yeah there was there was pressure and there was stress but there was also it was also balanced with excitement because there's nothing like covering live sport you can take your press conferences and everything else but lives. there's nothing like being part of live sport, whether it's football, tennis, athletics, anything, it's this. There's, there's definitely that, that. that is the big draw for me, and probably why I put up with all that awful stuff, you know, for the first ten years.
0: Heather, would you, when it comes to you've covered a lot of uh, of powerful stories. I read one in particular last night about the about the young uh, woman who's suffered uh, bullying, abuse you know, everything um, by, by the hands of a coach. Uh, what kind of effect does that have on, on, a, on a young athlete or sports person or
2: journalist's mental health? Um, I, I think that, well, bullying and, and abuse obviously goes without saying. I mean, it can have a horrific effect on, on athletes, on any any human being, let's be honest here. Um, it is pretty rife in, in sports, unfortunately, um, in all aspects of sport. But in terms of what I personally have experienced, um, no, I, I don't think I've, I've had any anxiety. I, I would say exactly as Ali's just said, actually, I think, look, you have those moments when if you finish a game and you know that you've made a mistake where you do, you know, you, you kind of you beat yourself up for a little while. Um, As we've both said, though, I think we're old enough and wise enough now to kind of get over it (laughs) pretty quickly. Um, Doesn't mean it wasn't like that in the earlier days, but would I ever let it affect me? No, definitely not. Um, But that's probably because Ali and I are, um, you know, she said we're, we're very privileged to be, attending amazing matches look at at the moment again we're in the situation where fans can't go to football matches what well, i know every single time i i walk into a stadium how how privileged i am and i never take that for granted and and every big event that ali and i do we were both recently in tokyo at the olympics you're out there and you never ever take those things for granted you are so aware of how lucky you are to be in that environment and we take the bad with the good and there is very little bad thankfully um it's all about balancing things up in your head um and at the end of the day I think you have to be a pretty strong person to to do these kind of jobs anyway no one should ever have to face any kind of abuse or backlash or anything like that but I think that we just go into these jobs knowing that yeah it may happen but we'll get over it Um, Pretty quickly, hopefully, we're, we're probably both quite fortunate in that we, we don't get horrific abuse uh, in the way that some people get these days still and it's still ongoing, but we're professionals so we go in and we get on with the job and I would never go into any any position like that with anxiety, no I would go in with excitement and knowing that actually, as Ali said, this is another football match. There is nothing better than going and watching a live game of football or going to a big event. It's, it's amazing. We are very privileged to have this job.
0: Well, listen, I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear that there's more positives than there is negatives. Um, and it certainly seems that you both have made the, the positives climb a lot higher than the, the negatives. And that's, that's, that's really cool to hear. Women's sport, when you first started... To where it is now, how when you first started, um, Alison, women's sport, uh, this makes this comes across as I'm being ignorant. I, I'm not saying it in an ignorant way, but I watched the Olympics. I would see women's sport there, and I would watch Wimbledon, and I would see women's sport there. That aside, I never watched any women's sport. How would you say, uh, you know, are we in a much healthier place now, um, and how far has it come? Yeah,
1: you, you, you're not wrong. You didn't watch any because there wasn't any. Um, the, sorry, there was women's sport going on, but it was no coverage. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the only women's sport that I covered in the 90s was the Scottish Curling Championships, uh, where men and women got equal coverage on BBC Scotland. You know, Curling was a sport that was, again, viewed by certain ears as a diddy sport. So let's just cover it and put it on at midnight um, so that only the curling fraternity could, can watch it. The other one, the other sport that that was regularly covered was, yes, was Wimbledon, where men and women got equal coverage and the athletics, you know, world athletics, pretty much athletics has had equal coverage all the way through. And the Olympics is the Olympics is a kind of, you know, like a, a bubble that just bounces every now and then with women's sport. But the last few Olympics, there's been more coverage and more women athletes there anyways. So 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 that's improved. Um, and I remember the first foot feet women's football match I covered, Scotland against Germany at McDermott Park. Um, and that must have been 1996. And it wasn't live and it was highlights. Um, and it was put on way later. It, didn't, it wasn't even deemed worthy enough to go on sports scene or be covered on sports scene or anything like that. And then it was kind of dumped for a while. And I think it was only covered because Vera Pau was the wife of the Rangers assistant manager. That was probably what carried the clout for getting that game covered because there was a bit of interest in her because she was a coach um, related to the men's Rangers team. So so that was probably part of the reason that was was covered. And and Scotland were, were so poor then, they didn't have the depth and the quality of player that they have now. So that's the only football match for women I remember covering at all. And that was just once in the 90s. So so in BBC Scotland, it was really only curling, I think, that got the equality of coverage. And that was really all the way through, probably till about 2010, maybe. And then things started to, to pick up um, and there's been more coverage. And, you know, we've got, the Scotland team have got the SWPA on, you know, BBC Alba. Um, so so things have definitely, and, and, and I think that's been largely pushed by what's been happening with the game in England um, because they've really, really pushed it. They've pushed their pundits. They've pushed everything. And Scotland have suddenly, the BBC Scotland have suddenly thought, oh, oh, we better pay a bit of interest here because, you know, we're going to be left behind here and we're going to be accused of this, that and the other. So, so that's pushed it. And the the English game is really of a good level now, and Scotland took a while to catch up because there was no interest, there was no sponsorship, there was no coverage, and you know it's a chicken and egg situation. You need all of these things because you know my male colleagues would say, well, no wonder we we don't cover Scotland women's games because they're rubbish and they lose twenty five nil and. I said, well, you know, they need to start somewhere. You know, we think a bit of coverage will get sponsorship, will get more young girls interested. I said, that's how it's got to start and it's got to be supported. And then I spoke to a Premier League chairman about about 10 years ago, actually, and I'm not telling you who it is, but he said to me, the future of football in Scotland is women's football. So watch this space. You know, it's going to just keep growing and growing and growing and growing. Um, And it's on it's on its
0: way. It's definitely. And it's it's great. In 2000, we just recently had in in cricket that you might have seen on Sky Sports, the 100 competition got played and the women's coverage was completely on par with the male coverage. And, you know, the amount of people and new fans that came to the women's game. I mean, we had three girls from Scotland who went down and took part in it as well. And their names, you know, we've got role models now in Scotland for the next generation of girls to say, "Oh, I want to play in the hundred as well." You need, I, I totally agree with you. You need that. If you don't have that coverage, people are not going to are not going to take it up.
1: Do you know the only the, the only proviso I put to that is that it's it, you know, part part of the reason people took up golf or watched golf was because they watched the Open Golf Championship in in the nineties when the BBC had full coverage. That wasn't a dedicated golf viewing audience. That was the casual person coming in on a Saturday, switching the TV on for grandstand, and there was some golf on. And that's how they got into golf. Because all these sports are on specifically subscriber-paid channels, generally you are interested in that sport before you watch it. Whereas you cannot be a casual viewer and just... Oh, I'll dip in. Oh, I might play some netball because it was on the BBC at three o'clock on a Saturday and you just caught it. Because people has, do you know what I mean? It's about these specific channels that are devoted to sports. The casual fan never gets the chance to dip into these sports. And I think because the BBC has lost so much of its sport now, I think that's been really damaging for fledgling sports like women's football, like women's golf, like, you know, you know, if you want to be a golfer, you're already in a golfing family. But if you've got a youngster that doesn't play golf with its family, that person never sees golf. So you're missing the chance for that person, that youngster, that woman, that young girl to get into the sport. So I think having access to public service broadcasting for a sport really speeds up the development and the coverage of that sport. Whereas dedicated channels, yes, for the golf fan, for the cricket fan is brilliant, but if you're not, but you might be. Those might be people are missing out on that opportunity. If you see what I mean.
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. See what you mean. It, it's 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 really important that these things that these things happen across the board and not just in some sports. Heather, from where you started to where you are now, how how well do you think women's sports evolved, and how much more still needs to be done?
2: Um, masses um it's definitely improved from where I started um I mean god I'm trying to think about the specific women's sport that I have covered um over the years and I suppose women's football I probably started covering it in 2012 2013 2012 I think um went away with Scotland a couple of times and did a lot of Glasgow City and Champions League stuff and then Uh, Eventually, uh, BBC Scotland created a women's sports reporter role, which I did uh, for its contracted time. They sadly then didn't renew um, that role. So it wasn't just about me not having that, that contract renewed, but it was that role was dispersed completely. Um, but during that time it was amazing because it was during the time of the Women's World Cup in France, the Solheim Cup at Glen Eagles, the Netball World Cup in Liverpool, uh, what else, the Cycling Tour of Scotland. So there's some really big events that I was very fortunate to be able to cover. Um, I think there's been an improvement since then in terms of just this general understanding that more women's sport needs to be covered across the board, particularly on the likes of the BBC. So you will see regularly um, a few women's sports stories, but not as much as there could be. I, the, the problem is, as Ali quite rightly just said, you look at the, the World Cup audience, for example, in France on the BBC. When I was out in France, I was hearing anecdotally stories of people saying that their granddads, you know, people want the reporters out there. Were like, oh, yeah, we've been on the phone to our granddads and our granddad has been watching it. Now, these just as, as Ali said, these are not the kind of people who would normally tune in if they were on a pay-per-view channel on YouTube or whatever. if you know, A trendy granddad is into his YouTube. They would be tuning in because they they're investing their personal time in that. They know that when they switch that on, that's what they're going to get. But actually, what we need to see more of is, is these things happening all around us all the time. So when you're key broadcasters like the BBC, we need to be seeing regular feeds of women's football, golf, curling, whatever it might be. But to make it much more normal, to normalize it, there's that famous phrase everyone rolls out, you know, Uh, you got it you can't be it until you can see it that that type of thing and it it is true it's a bit of a cliche now but it's so true you've got to be able to to see these kids growing up have got to be able to see these happening these things happening around them to know that actually they can be just like that person to say to their their parents oh can I take up that sport because ultimately it's up to the parents to then invest their time and and take their kids to these sports whatever sport it it might be but they've got to see it in the first place and I suppose one of my particular gripes is just the this belief that is is held in so many broadcast and and media institutions, whether that's TV, radio, newspapers, whatever, uh, online in particular, that people just don't want to read these stories or they don't want to watch these these uh, events. It's it's utter nonsense. There's the whole belief that unless a story is going to get a million views, 10,000 views, it's just not worth putting up. We need to come away from that and we need to start saying, does it matter if a story is not getting 10,000 views? It doesn't matter. It shouldn't always be about the viewing figures. It should just be there so that these things are becoming normalized and so that these stories are normalized, these sports people are normalized, so that it becomes part of the the general framework of news rather than just being women's sport. And I speak to, I don't know where you stand on this, Ali. Um, I'm obviously a big supporter of women's sport, um, but I speak to a lot of people who work in women's sport, from coaches to athletes and and so on, and family members, and actually they don't like the term women's sport. You know, they want they don't want that to be there. They want that to go away and it just to be sport and that women are celebrated on an equal playing field as much as anyone else. But like I say, I personally don't think that can happen until we dispel with this idea that. People are just not going to bother reading the story because it's not as popular as a Celtic or Rangers or whatever it might be. It doesn't matter. And it will will always be that way unless it's just normalised that we can understand and the media organisations can understand they deserve their place. It doesn't matter what sport it is. If someone is achieving well in that particular field, they deserve their place as much as anyone else.
1: Yeah, I agree with you about the language. I, 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 and I do think language is important in, in, terms of the way this develops and you know broadcasters should be given some sort of remake to say Scotland's men's team drew 2-2 with you know the Czech Republic last week Scotland's women's team drew 2-2 these are easy changes to make in broadcasting these are not difficult And, you know, you're talking about normalising. That's one way of beginning the process of normalising. That is not difficult to do. So I don't know why there isn't an edict from above to say these two sports, these two genders must be treated, you know, okay, there they are two different things, but they're still sport. You know, if you're going to say men's, women's sport, you should be saying men's sport. Absolutely you should. So, you know, why is nobody giving these instructions from above editorially to see that because that would start normalizing the language, you know, further down the food chain. So these are the small changes that also can, can be made to start it all off.
2: Small.
0: I changes. think
1: there's still that fear. Sorry, Cassie, I was just going to say, I think there's still that fear. And it's the same
2: with, um, you know, when it comes to race and working with diversity and, and different cultures and things like that, I still think there is a bit of misunderstanding and almost fear around it among those at the top where they don't know how to handle situations and they almost put things in boxes you know and they treat them in in this particular manner because they feel that that's the way that they should be treated when actually if you speak to people working in the industry or working in the game they don't want to be treated you know like that but just asking for a bit of fairness and a bit of equality and that is not too difficult to to come by i I don't know when that will change. I suppose if we if we have to say something positive out of it, the positive is that there is more impetus now and more emphasis being put on women's sports. so therefore we're we're casting our eyes more on it and we are able to to see more stories out there but come on you know we need to see rather than just being a tick box exercise we need to see these things just being rather than newspapers always having supplements for example um dedicated to that or a specific area just make it part of the newspaper yeah. just make you know th- things part of the, the, the bigger agenda um, and then uh, only then i think will will female athletes and, and people involved in sport really feel that that quality is there
0: you both talk about language and Language is so important. I mean, I know I've called this the women's sport special. um, And now I'm thinking, you know, if I was to do something similar, I should be calling it a men's sport special. And I think that little change would make it not so much zone in on the fact that, oh, that's a women's game that's being played there. It doesn't have to. Both should be just highlighted as well. Actually, interesting yesterday, I actually messaged Heather about this yesterday to ask her the question as well it got brought to my attention that the word lady or ladies, you know, can can not be, they can come across, to put it into term, terminology, it's not ladylike to sweat, it's not ladylike to be strong nonsense, if you, if you ask me. But ladies and ladies, ladies has always been a word I've used, I think, out of respect, because I would often say ladies first. Or, or some, but I can also understand, in a sporting sense, why people could then be like, well, it's not ladylike to do that. Or it's not ladylike to do, that. and that's just stereotyping, um, and it's and it's wrong. So you know, we can all evolve and, and change our language a little bit. And I would like to think now that I won't use the the the, the term lady or ladies as much as in sporting terms because I think it can be kind of taken taken in the wrong way. And I understand where it's where it's coming from as well. I want to as we come to the back end of uh, of the podcast, and by the way. You both have. This has been. A, you've you've been fantastic, really. It's been a, it's been fascinating to listen to you both. But I want to finish with some real positives. So I want to I want to ask you both to name me your top three sporting moments when it comes to to women's sport through the years. Um, and you're welcome to name a, a top moment for men's sport. As well in there, because um, I know you will have covered a, a lot on that front as well. But I just want to—I want to hear some of the your, your great, great achievements and, and some of the best moments. Oh
1: my God, I don't think. <laughs> You're both thinking. Right, I'll start
2: kick off then. Um, Andy Murray, his first Wimbledon win. Yeah. Oh, just amazing. I—I I was. I mean, you couldn't make it up. I was on a sports shift um, at the BBC on my own in an empty office on a Sunday. And I was watching this moment of history and I had the TV on and I mean, I was just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. I, 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 I won't deny. I did have a, a wee cry. Um, I just thought this is such a massive moment. And I was so devastated that I couldn't celebrate it with my friends or family. I thought, Oh, I'm just, I'm all on my own. And I'm running around like a, a crazy person. Um, but that for me was, Oh, it was just so so huge. I just I was so happy for Andy. The you know after everything that he'd been through, uh, not not just because he was a Scot, but just for him personally because so many trials and tribulations, and so many people never believed that he would do it, and he did. Uh, and it was just yeah, it was amazing. So that's my number one ever moment. I think I think um, I don't. There are so many sporting events throughout history because. You know, I'm in my 40s now, so I've seen, a, I grew up with the, Olymp- the Olympics. Me, when I was growing up, was like whew, the pinnacle of everything. Um, but I would, just before, uh, throw to Ali, I'd put the Solheim Cup at Glen Eagles in there as well um, when I was doing that role as women's sports reporter because uh, I was lucky to be there. And that was just, you know, Katrina Matthew leading the team to to victory against the odds was unbelievable again just an incredible feeling just just to be there so those have been my top two what about you Ali
1: well see I've got I've got top ones that I've got events that I've covered but top ones that like you I've been watching at home like Andy Murray you know and, and I got to know Andy really quite well because you know I interviewed him when he was 12 you know and kind of watched that journey all all the way through got to know the family got to know Judy um same with chris hoy when he won his gold medals in in sydney and then beijing and got to know him so and then being in amongst it at the solheim cup doing commentary i was doing on course commentary at the solheim cup so i followed players every step of the way walked that course about 15 times and you know this is this is how you engage audiences audiences begin to care about the players if people are not interested in golf you tell the stories about the individuals about their families and you know you you say things like you know she's got this she's got this putt you know for a par and this would this would take them 3-1 ahead and, you know, I wonder if husband is such and such is at home watching with, with baby Miguel and, you know, and then people are listening and they're thinking, oh, she's got a baby, she's had to leave her baby at home and blah, 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 blah. You know, this is how you engage with, with your audiences and draw people into sports. So the Solheim, from a work point of view, was absolutely fabulous. The Ryder Cup, you know, was the same fabulous for me. Um, but my very first Olympics was in Sydney in 2000. And um, I actually, strangely enough, had one day off and I went to the Olympic Stadium in Sydney and watched the 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 girl that was the flag bearer, the girl that was the icon of the Games a runner, a 400 meter runner called Cathy Freeman. Oh, yes. And she was the first Aboriginal um, athlete to win a gold medal ever at, you know, ever for in anything. Um for the Australians. She was the, she was the pin-up girl and she actually came through and she won it. And, she, and I interviewed her afterwards and she was absolutely amazing. And to make that place in history for her country was really quite special. And when, when you're at the Olympic games and in another country, you get caught up in the whole Australian thing and how much it means, you know, to the country and the people and everybody got caught up in in that story. So so I got caught up in it as well. So that's a great memory for me because it was my my first Olympic Games. So, so that would be up there, definitely. But my other work one would also be watching Celtic in the UEFA Cup final in uh, Seville um, because it was the first time that, you know, the pinnacle of your, you cover football and the pinnacle is, you know, getting to a UEFA Cup final or Champions League final and Celtic had got there and you were there. You know, and that, again, you're standing in the middle of the Stadio Olimpico. And I've got Billy McNeil beside me, you know, as my pundit interviewing him about Celtic, you know, and the hairs were standing up on the back of my neck. And it was just the most amazing thing. And I thought, wow, I can't believe I'm here, you know, and it was what Heather said before. It's a real privilege to be in these, these moments. But when you when you're covering sport around the world, even if you're working for an international organization, you always want deep down, someone from Scotland to do their thing. You cannot help it. And this is why the Commonwealth Games matters so much, because we love it when Scots do well around the world. And look at and Andy Murray's one of them at the absolute pinnacle of, of that world. And in the same in Olympic Games, Chris Hoy and you know Catherine Granger and whenever these guys do anything, these are special, special moments if you're a Scottish person and you're abroad and you're a journalist and you're there kind of watching them. These, these are just fantastic moments to cover.
2: Yeah. It's so true. Isn't it? Um, As you say, particularly when the the Scots do it, you just, you can't help it. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Um, I was thinking also Ali for one of my others uh, going, talking about Olympics, um, the likes of Daley Thompson. I mean, for me, Again, it's growing up, growing up yeah. kind of era, wasn't it, where the Olympics was the big thing every single time you watched it. it was like, wow. So I think Daley Thompson, for me, um, and his... which what Was it LA he, he won gold? I can't remember. I'm trying to think my age, which one I would have remembered. But just him, I, he was a real hero. Of, and he was a character
1: uh, as well, wasn't oh, he? The real he personality was. too. Yes,
2: yeah. I think he could be quite... Uh, quite difficult for some people but you know as a kid growing up and watching someone like that I, I was just blown away by him and Steve Cram as well in fact that was at the world championship I think in uh 83 maybe um that sticks in my head um I'm sure he won gold at that but Steve Cram and his his amazing abilities as well. But here
1: we are both, Heather, talking about men. It's all about, you know, I didn't really have any yeah. heroines, sporting heroines growing up. Maybe, maybe Peter's a bit before my time as well. But there was never, it was people like that that, that yeah. stood out. The inspiration um, going, Kathy,
0: Kathy Freeman must have given you that day, sitting watching her and then interviewing her, it must have given you so much drive and motivation to to go on and, and keep doing your thing as well you need you need yeah. people like that to to define the odds um and it's good now that we i think if we had this conversation in 15 20 years time we would be talking a lot more about women's sports achievements as well but in, probably in the last 20 years there's not been as many but i think these chapters are going to be re- rewritten um, and are positive positive. Listen, amazing to listen to you both. There, I can feel the passion through the screen when you talk about these moments, and, and I just I, I love that. It's been a it's been a real real pleasure to speak to you both today. I, I really appreciate you giving me your time at such short notice. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, and and I would love to speak to you again a little bit more on your individual journeys because you must have some great stories to tell along along the way. But yes, from my point of view, thank you ever so much.
1: Thanks for having us. Well, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Take yeah. care. And Heather, see you soon. See you, my love. Take okay. care. Bye. Bye-bye.